Welcome to Fourth Corner Corner, educator news from the Northwest, where we will be bringing you the latest union news and interviews from all 34 of our locals. Today on the podcast, we have Randy Paddock. Randy is the Equity and Diversity Coordinator for WEA, and he is here in the office to talk about equity issues and our newly formed equity team here in Fourth Corner. All right, well, welcome, Randy, to the podcast here at Fourth Corner, and um just kind of want to start out with you telling the listeners a little about yourself and how you got into this work. Well, good question. It's uh, I, I'll try and keep it brief um, <laughs> because um, I, it's it's been a, a path. It's been a path for me. I, I'm a Tlingit native, uh, which Tlingits are from Southeast Alaska. Uh, however, I was born in Fairfax, Virginia, because my father was working for Senator Gravel from Alaska. Uh, And I'm the youngest of five. We went back to Alaska and um, they ended up getting a divorce. And my mother took us from the reservation because she said that, um, quote unquote, white schools are better um, than the native schools. So uh, we went to Airway Heights, Washington, just outside of Spokane, which is very poverty stricken. uh, and very white and I didn't have my community around me. So I was kind of left to my own devices. School was my safe place. It was where, um, everything felt good. And in fourth grade, um, because of Mrs. Wentworth, uh, I wanted to become a teacher. And in seventh grade, because of Mr. Alstead, I wanted to become a band teacher and that gave my life direction gave me focus and made me love public schools. And when I got my education, I knew that I wanted to teach children of color and children of poverty uh, to help show them how you can navigate through this. Whether and whatever your profession wants to be, I wanted to be an influence. And um, it was then that I got involved with the union And um, in my third year, I I volunteered to be vice president. And when I went and I had no union background to speak of before. And when I went into my first union meeting the next week, when I volunteered to be vice president, they told me I'd be president the next year. And and um, and I became president and did battle with uh, still the worst principal I've ever come across. Um, And uh, from there, um, a couple Uniserve directors, which I didn't even know that was a job, said that I should do this, and I got involved with union work. And when I became a Uniserve director, I was seeing all sorts of different issues, especially dealing with natives, but with race in general, and just started doing programs. I created a program called Cultural Education Exchange, which was... Um, um, a training for that was for everyone in public education, uh, from uh, paras, teachers, um, school boards, and administrators. They all come to learn about the history of na- Native education. And Natives were there to learn about what the union does uh, and why we do what we do 
because they were fighting in Olympia about education issues. And then through that program, we built a relationship we, and stopped arguing with each other um, politically. And then I created a program called Future Native Teachers Initiative to get uh, more natives involved in education. And then um, through a new business item from uh, the National Education Association Rep Assembly in 2015, where they said that we should address institutional racism. And then in 2016, WEA followed up with that uh, with a similar one. Um, through discussions and meetings, they um, built a program or built a position um, uh, called Equity and Diversity Coordinator. And I applied for that position after 12 and a half years of being a UNICEF director in WA Olympic. And, um, and got that job and um, I, I'm really proud of WA because we're the only NEA affiliate in the nation with this job and uh, with this position. And that's good that we're blazing a trail, but that also means that there's no one in front of us to help out um, when we have our growing pains. And, uh, and uh, this is a difficult topic. This yeah. is a difficult topic to deal with, but um, I feel like I work with governance well, I work with management well, I work with my colleagues well, and um, I talk people through difficult topics well. And uh, this is certainly one of the most difficult topics for us to talk about in race and equity. Yeah, you talk about us kind of blazing the trail. So what is that work looking like around the state? Because I think those of us who maybe have been involved in federal way, um, professional development or other opportunities may have seen some of this, but those of us um, who haven't might not know much about that work that's happening. Well, there's, um, there was, a, there were a lot of things going on um, prior to my position being thought of um, because of different um, issues that we had in the organization dealing with race. Um, we had to tackle it in a, in a real way. And um, so we formed what was called the um, diversity work team, which was a joint team between WESO, which is the staff or uh, staff union and WEA uh, management, um, then brought in governance and through teamwork, they came up with a diversity um, uh, uh, plan, WA diversity plan, which um, has five goals. And when I came into the work, that was, um, that was what was supposed to direct my work. And um, because what, what, I was told is that they come together, this team, they come up with these ideas and then everyone goes back to their regular job and there's not someone to follow up with what all the things that they talk about um, should do. And so that's what I was trying to do. However, this is my second school year doing this work. Last school year, I came in with the mindset of, okay, what have we done? Uh, what are we trying to do? Where are we trying to go? And is it working? Um, we had already had things in place with this diversity work team. We'd already had things in place with culturally responsive classroom management, um, which was a need of our membership for years. Um, so those things were going. We we're having the conversations. We we're offering some trainings. Um, 
And then we started um, with this work uh, through the diversity work team, came up with implicit bias and microaggression trainings. Microaggression trainings, there are four, there's four modules, one on race and ethnicity, uh, one on gender and intersectionality, one on LGBTQ issues, and one on disability. And all of them are very impactful and all of them are well received. Um, but it's just not um, quite enough. So we had things in, in place, but this is always morphing. And after last school year, I came into this school year thinking, okay, now I kind of know what we have been trying to do. I'm going to try and implement some things, you know, for this year. Um, however, the organization, in a good way, um, we elected a new president and a new vice president. Um, our first African-American uh, vice president, woman, strong woman, and uh, ESP then, member. Yeah, ESP member, and Larry Delaney, um, which we all know and love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, <clears throat> so they have a race and equity focus, and um, management has adopted that too. So now we're in a position where this is morphing, and um, we are having more meetings about this. Um, I just came from a meeting today where we're discussing. Um, race and equity and um, how to be strategic in the organization about this a group of probably 30 um, staff um, members leaders and management in the, in the room um, and uh, we're just trying to discuss how to do this it's it's through professional development but it's also trying to address our own discomfort about discussing the topic yeah, I was um, having a conversation with some of the WA board members about the fact that, especially as a white educator, this is like learning a new language in a lot of ways mm -hmm. for us. Um, if you've ever taken a foreign language in school, which most of us had to as part of a graduation requirement, you part of that class is immersing in lots of different aspects of the culture, not just the language. And a lot of this work is for me has been really reminiscent of digging into that piece of learning a language. And then it made me sort of think about the fact that when I'm working with students who are English language learners, we are PSYOP trained and we use PSYOP in our classrooms to help focus learning and bring learning to a manageable level for all students, not just students learning English and yeah. bring a lot of um, educational conversation in. There's lots of um, less sit and get and a lot more interaction and a lot more um visual impact to the learning and it has made me think like how can we transfer some of those teaching skills that we use with PSYOP into learning this new language of equity and and within our our own learning for ourselves well it, it um it's all interwoven right i mean because uh our student population across the nation, but also in Washington state, um, is reaching a point of majority students of color. And that 
is not reflective in our educators. Um, we are still in WEA, 80% um, uh, white and female predominantly. So the struggle that we're having is how do we connect with the growing student population? Um, well, I would just heard in a, a meeting yesterday that um, one of our uh, Puget Sound school districts um, has over a hundred different languages in their school. Yeah, federal way is what I heard. Yeah, yeah. And uh, how how do you, as a white woman, connect with that? And you know, I'm I'm not intending to leave out the other twenty percent people of color, males, um, or any other group, but that's this is the group that um, uh, we have to work with. And uh, how do we bring in people into education? How do we how do we take the people that are in education that really care about the students and trying to connect with them? How do we help guide um, authentic conversations? So one of the things that has come up in conversations with members um, who are interested in putting together an equity team here in Fourth Corner has been sort of that idea of how do we bridge um, the work we may be doing around equity into the work with our districts and how do we maybe push back on some of those to create more opportunities for educators of color within our own districts here in fourth corner. Yeah. Um, well, I'm trying to put an, I'm trying to help. We have 23 councils and we would like an equity team in every council. I would like educators of color groups in every council. I would like, um, a couple of our councils are putting together LGBTQ um, groups uh, for their members. Um, all of these things are, are important, but the equity team I see as like a couple things. First, there has to be autonomy. You know, what are the issues that are going on in Fourth Corner specifically, but also around the state in their councils? What are their issues? And what do they need to talk about? Race is always the lead. I mean, race is always up front. It's the most pervasive. But we have class issues and we have gender issues and we have LGBTQ issues. Um, and it, how do we address this? An equity team allows adults to sit in a room and talk openly about their discomfort about talking about it openly. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and, but you work through it. Uh, you know, what I tell people, and I, I would even tell this when I was a Uniserve director, that I'm trying to make you uncomfortable a little bit because I want to expand your comfort zone. And if I can make you uncomfortable and make you realize that it's okay to be uncomfortable, and then let's analyze why it's uncomfortable. And then you get comfortable with it, and all of a sudden, your comfort zone is expanded. And right now, what we're trying to do in the organization, what I'm trying to do in my role, is expand our comfort zone. Um, the, um, the bad part of that is you can't predict how people are going to react when they're uncomfortable. So we're dealing with growing pains yeah. across the organization, and that's okay. Um, it's okay to be, to have that. It's okay to have these hard conversations. Um, there's, it's, it's healthy. 
Because once, and I, I noticed this from the time I got my position, because I was speaking at every WA board meeting and I was speaking at every level five meeting. And what I noticed from the first meeting to the current meetings is people are more comfortable having the conversation. And if we're more comfortable having the conversation together, they're more comfortable having the conversations in the council. If they're more comfortable there, they're going to have it in the local. If the local is comfortable having it, they're going to talk about it with colleagues and they're going to talk about it with parents, administrators, and students. And all of a sudden we are changing a community just by having the conversations, you know, take actions out of it. Let's have some understanding of each other. Let's have some empathy. Let's, let's address it in a, an intentional, deliberate, um, caring way, because if we do this for each other, it will reach down to the students. Yeah. I'm, as you're talking, I'm thinking about fourth corner members and, and putting together this equity team here in fourth corner. What might some of their charges or conversations, how might they get that started here? Well, it. um, it depends on the makeup and it depends on the issues that you're ready to talk about. I mean, we, as you know, those of us that are dealing with equity and diversity issues, uh, human civil rights issues in, in WEA, um, we want the conversation to be led with race. Um, because if you're talking about class issues, there's race involved with that. And there's, we kind of is woven into all of the issues, all of the isms. Um, but the equity team would talk about um, the issues that are important. So if you get a team together, you think of it like a bargaining team. When we're forming a bargaining team, you think of, okay, what's the right size bargaining team? You know, seven people maybe. Um, so if you're thinking about seven people in fourth corner, you want to have representatives from a region because it's a large conglomerate. There's more locals than there are. There's more than seven locals. So yes, you, you, yeah. <laughs> there are so, thirty-four. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and so you want to you want to have um, uh, regions represented. Um, you want to have uh, ESPs represented. You want to have certs represented. You want to have your higher ed represented. Um, so uh, you want to have uh, your uh, you know people of color on the team. You want to have uh, any people of difference. Uh, LGBTQ people, someone with a disability, not just a physical disability. We, we really don't think about the mental disabilities of our members and our students and the difficulties of navigating this world with, you know, how does someone with bipolar disorder, you know, get through the day? How do they address the work? How does someone with a dyslexia, you know, how does, you know, it's, we, it's hard for, it's easy for us to dismiss the people that have disabilities that you can't see. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a there's a big piece to that. Um, so you want to have a diverse team, you know, you know, veteran, you know, we talk about this on bargaining teams. You want to have a veteran, you want to have someone new, you want to have elementary, middle school, high school. In this case, you have higher ed ESPs. And, um, and then you have in the intersectionality of, of those people with disabilities or LGBTQ or race uh, woven into that um, gender uh, experience. And then 
what are the issues that are happening in the schools? What are the things that are holding us up from success? Mm -hmm. uh, what, are, what's our, what are our students dealing with? What are our mem members dealing with? Um, and then let's talk about it and see what kind of solutions we come up with. Now, are the solutions going to be PD? Many times, yeah. Are, it's, you know, are we going to deal with it through advocacy? Um, whether that's grievance processing or um, being more uh, assertive to management about the things they need to address because they're uncomfortable talking mm -hmm. about it too. So a council equity team would help a local and district equity team because equity teams across the state are the hot new resume pattern for administrators and they're being formed in schools um, by administration without the involvement of the union and really some intentional um, uh, direction to uh, how it's being formed and what they do. There has to be a partnership yeah. for it to work. Yeah, I was um, struck I think Amy Nyland and Ferndale had mentioned like it could be as simple as asking your district, making the request to have a person of color on every interview committee. Like mm -hmm. it seems so small, but yeah. it brings such a different perspective. And if we're really trying to bring in and retain educators of color, this is sort of like the no brainer first step yeah. in a lot of places. Well, how do we involve anyone of difference, um, but especially people of color, into the union? Because right now we face an issue where, and, and it is changing, we're evolving. I mean, we have our highest percentage um, last rep assembly of people of color. It was lower in number than the year before, but it was a higher percentage. Mm -hmm. The last two years we've been doing really well on it, but, but we also aren't recruiting uh, people of color into the profession. Like I said, I did future native teachers just to try and get more natives into uh, the profession of education because we have 10% um, native population but only 1% teachers. Mm -hmm. And that same uh, dichotomy happens with each race um, throughout the state, um, some more drastic than others. But you know, I would tell this to my high school when I'm training high school um, educators. How often do you pull someone of poverty aside, someone of color aside and say, hey, I think you would be a really good teacher. Right. Um, I think you should think about this. Um, when I first got into this union work, when I was a Uniserve director in WA Olympic in, in 2005, I was meeting with um, a senator and with other educators and um, at one point I said to the educators, I said, would you, would you recommend to your best and brightest students to go into the profession of education? And all of them resoundingly said no. And that was the, that was the effect that I wanted to have on the Senator at the time. But now we have a teacher shortage mm -hmm. and, um, we've done ourselves a disservice by not saying to a student we think you should be a teacher. We think you'd be good at it. We think you connect with other people well. And it's pulling that student aside that is disenfranchised with school. Because I wasn't, I wasn't the best student. 
um, I loved music. I loved, I went to school for band and I went to school because I was in poverty. It was my free meal. It was warm. Mm -hmm. It was loving teachers. And, um, but no teacher ever pulled me aside and said, I think you should be a teacher. I went back to my high school to do my student teaching. And a lot of them understood why I loved it, even though I was a pain in the butt as a student. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they understood why because they knew I cared and they knew that um, whatever attributes that you need to have as an educator, I had. But I, I wish we would be more intentional about recruiting students that are of color, are from poverty, are of difference, because we don't have enough of them to connect with the students that we have now. Yeah. And that doesn't mean like pushing others out. It just means like, let's just widen the swath of, of our reach. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's definitely always sort of present in my thought. And then as a, I like to think of myself as a white ally and yeah, you are. yeah. And I, I am always, I think you and I had the conversation of how do you reach out to members who are not like you without it feeling like, you're asking because they're the token, whatever. Yeah, you don't want a token. Right. And so how do you start those conversations from a genuine place? Because I think those of us who have an advantage because of our background, and whatever it is, um, often don't even know where to begin yeah. to have that conversation. Well, it's important, uh, for one, uh, to accept being vulnerable because... Um, it's okay to tell someone that you don't know and let that sit there and then let the conversation go where it goes because avoiding the conversation is worse than having a clumsy conversation. It's just like, you know, when I talk about bargaining or being a president, you know, when I was local president, I was scared out of my mind because I'd never been president before and I was doing battle. Yeah, <laughs> I was doing battle um, and I'd never had those types of conflicts before. You know, arguing with your family at Thanksgiving is not the same as arguing with the superintendent right. about a principal's bad behavior. Um, so I wasn't good at it when I first started. I wasn't good at it when I was a year through it. I would say I probably wasn't good at it for the first two years of being a Uniserve director, but you just keep going back and you keep forcing yourself into the conversation and then you get better and yeah. you get better and you deal with that discomfort easier. Um, but the first thing is to just allow yourself to be vulnerable and make yourself have the conversation. Um, doing it authentically with other people in your locals it's organizing. And when I was teaching my presidents about organizing, um, one of the things I would say, and, and I would say this just in general in the beginning, three points of contact before you have an ask. Yeah. And that first point of contact is going into the classroom or going into the lounge and just asking someone, how's it going? What's it like in your, what's, what's your day like? How's, how's your school year going? You know, and, and listening. Yeah. No ask. Just be cool. Yeah. 
A lot of it is just be cool. (laughs) (laughs) So simple. Yeah. And then just, and then you walk away and then next time you come back, check back in. How are things going? Yeah. Did you, is this thing dealt with? Would you like me to talk to somebody? You know, um, let them know that you're, you you support them and whoever they are dealing with whatever they're going through. Yeah. And then walk away. Just be cool. And then when you come back again and you're talking to them and you're finding out what their passions are, go, hey, I really think, I really think you would be good to, I really respect what you do. I really respect your approach to it. You know, would you, would you think about joining a committee? Would you think about going to RA? Um, because I think your talents would would be helpful. When I was a teacher, as a native, I could see in their eyes when they're coming to me because I'm a person of color. Every person of color just has that sense. So you got to be real with it, and you got to build a relationship. It's a it's this entire work, no matter what color you are, what age, what gender. It's about building a genuine relationship before you ask them to do something and get involved. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of that comes, it, I've had a lot of reflective time in the last month, um, partially the work of my school building that they're doing with equity and then the conversations at the WA board. I've been thinking a lot about the idea of individualism versus um, that collectivism yeah. and how how much just those two concepts have really separated white populations from people of color just mm-hmm. just because we often don't even think about that creating community yeah before moving forward like it's always the task the task the task well and that's I was just going to mention that that. Uh, these are conversations that are new to me in the last year. Individualism versus collectivism were driven by task-oriented groups and relational-oriented groups. And the relational-oriented groups want to take the time to learn what a person is like, what, what are their passions, what are their weaknesses, what, what makes them themselves before you even get to the task. And the task-oriented people just want to get to the task, get it done, move on to the next thing. And those two cultures clash and the task oriented culture is a part of United States culture. And I say that because one of the things that we're discussing in the organization is white supremacy culture. And just that phrase, just that title, it's provocative because um, when someone says white supremacy culture, if you're a white person, you feel like you might be being called a white supremacist. And that's not what uh, it is at all. It's that um, white culture is the dominant culture. And uh, the dominant culture is what the United States is, is. And those of us people of color, we call it code switching. So when we're with our family, when with our friends of the same uh, race as us or even other people of color, we can act like how we act normally, <laughs> and, uh, which sounds weird. But then what we call it when we have to go out into the business world, into you know schools, into the rest of society, we call it code switching. So we have to s- switch over to a culture that is not our own. And it is really difficult for people in the United States to see 
the culture that we're in because, and, and this is a quote from another colleague of mine, um, they can't see water because they're fish. And it's, it's something that you don't think about it until you're outside of it. And um, we're always outside of it and have to adapt to it as yeah. people of color. Um, and it, it doesn't even have to be that because there's cultures all over our state. We know there's a different culture in every school building. Every school district has a different culture. But when I took my first Uniserve director job in Sioux City, Iowa, um, I didn't realize how Northwest I was <laughs> until I got there. Right. And I thought that I was kind of a moderate. And then when I got to Sioux City, Iowa, I found a wow, I am a commie pinko. That's <laughs> my mom would as my mom would put it back in the day. Um, but uh, there's there's so many different cultures from eastern Washington, western Washington, rural to urban. Um and we have to be conscious of all of these different cultures, but um, white culture is the dominant culture. And those of us that are not a part of it have to adapt to it. So when we talk about these issues of white supremacy culture, and um, I just thought that people didn't understand me. I didn't realize that I was trying to adapt to a culture because again, this isn't just about white people. I contribute to that, this culture as well Yeah. because I've adapted to it and I'm successful because I've adapted to it. Well, um, um, I hate to use the word assimilate because I don't feel assimilated, but that is essentially what we're asking people of color to do is to assimilate into the dominant culture and the dominant culture is white. And now when you say, take the similum synonym out of it. Um, they call it white supremacy culture and we're having a real tough time learning what that is and talking openly about it. But, um, and there's frustrations on all ends because, um, we've always had to adapt mm -hmm. and people are pushing back because now we're asking others to adapt. Yeah. I think, um, in my work over the last couple of years of, really trying to understand what it means to be a white ally or an anti-racist is, is that idea of my greatest tool is to treat a situation like I'm the one that needs to adapt. And, and mm. what does that mean? Because I am very task oriented. Like if you talk to anyone, like I'm a task driven person and that's one piece, but always trying to sort of think, how do I come into the situation from a different perspective and, and change how I approach it because I'm trying to be the person adapting rather than asking someone else to adapt for me. Well, I think it's harder when you're talking about race because um, it's unknown. I have um, brought my white friends into places where it's only people of color and they feel how uncomfortable that is to be the only. Mm -hmm. um, but they get to walk away from that. And if you're the only, like all the time, um, that could be tough. And in Washington State, 
it can be tougher because we have a real tough time talking about um, race in general. We want to believe ourselves to be the most woke, the most liberal, <laughs> <laughs> the most uh, you know open-minded people and welcoming yeah. people, but um, we're still a part of a culture. And um, that's what I mean with going back to vulnerability. It's okay to say that um, you don't know. Yeah. And um, before I do anything with Fourth Corner, you know, I want to sit with the leadership of Fourth Corner and get to know who they are and, um, and then work from there. I don't want to come in and say, you're going to do an equity team and here's what it's going to look like. And we're going to do these trainings and here's when it's going to happen. That that's not the way it should work. Yeah. Um, the leadership should know what the membership wants. I should get to know the leadership to see where the comfort levels are, where the strengths, where the, where the things that need to be worked on and, and then go from there. Um, but that takes time. That takes relationship building. Yeah. Um, I can't just come in and say, here's what we're going to do. All of you follow my lead. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's not how it works. So an equity team is obviously one step that a member might take to mm-hmm. join in some of this work, but how might, how might that look in other ways? Like what, what does it look like to be a white ally or to be an advocate? Well, one of the things that um, I say in my trainings uh, not just mine, but um, I have a lot of colleagues that do similar types of trainings. Um, that uh, race is everyone's problem, but it's mostly white people's problem. <laughs> and the reason that we say that is that anyone that needs to have their mind changed needs to be moved a little bit on race issues already won't listen to me. Um, our voices are being um, discounted before we start. We need someone that looks like them to help guide them. So being a white ally is being able to step in before the person of color says has to defend themselves or tell someone that what they said is inappropriate. Step in and... Um, tell someone that that was inappropriate or, you know, in my trainings, one of the things, one of the things that people ask is, well, how do we call it out? And the easiest way to call it out to start a discussion um, without putting them on the defensive is to lead with questions. So if someone says, does a microaggression of some sort, um, why were you comfortable saying that? You know, where did you learn that belief? Um, how do you think it's okay to say that in front of me in this setting? You know, it's, it's a, it's a little, it pokes a little, but it also is asking them to defend themselves or at least give an insight Mm -hmm. like, well, it's because these people, I think these people are like this, or I think this situation is this way. And then you can get into a discussion about, well, it's not really like that. Um, that you have to consider all these other factors, you know, wherever the, you know, if you lead with a question, their answer is going to lead you to where you should go next. And if they have a non-answer, you know, don't bother with it. Um, just like I was talking at this meeting earlier today that when we discuss politics 
and we're doing phone banking or doorbelling, um, you know, usually our lists are okay. But if we find someone that um, does not have the same beliefs in public education or unions as we do, we say, okay, we're not going to waste our time with that because we have to solidify our base. We have to talk about, uh, talk to the people that are either kind of on the fence or in our camp so that, that we get everyone um, on the same page. Same thing with race. If someone's a racist, you know, your drunk uncle is going to be your drunk <laughs> uncle. <laughs> that's, that's the way it's going to be. And uh, you don't need to spend your time trying to change that person's mind. But the, the, the person that needs to have their mind changed is someone that usually doesn't know that they're contributing to the culture or saying things that are inappropriate because they're just a part of our everyday vernacular. Yeah. You know, like um, another example, when we're talking about microaggressions, um, bargaining season every year when I was negotiating, um, inevitably, if we're talking about seniority, someone's going to say low man on the totem pole. Yeah. And um, they never think about that phrase because it's a part of our everyday thoughts. Yeah. And they never think about what that sounds like to me as a Native American. And then they also don't know about me being Clinkett, which is which Clinkets are the inventor of the totem pole. And it has a much larger significance than who's going to get fired first or what bus driver gets to bid on the route first. Right. And and then we when we're bargaining and we're going to go caucus, someone will say, let's go powwow. And. They say it with without thinking about yeah. how this sounds to a native like myself, because that's that's not a powwow. On the yeah. other side of the door, there is not singing, dancing, or fry bread. I <laughs> I wish there was, but but right. no, we're just going to talk strategy. <laughs> that's not a powwow. Right. But here's the other example I give. When we were kids, and I don't know how old you are, and you don't need to tell me, <laughs> but. Um, when I was a kid, when the teacher said to sit on the floor, uh, oh, how yeah. did we sit? Yeah, Indian style, yeah. not crisscross applesauce. Now we sit yeah. crisscross applesauce. I have no idea who coined that phrase. Yeah. But that person deserves a Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah, no kidding. But that shows that we're able to change. Yeah. That we recognized an issue as a nation. I don't even know where it started. No. But we all adopted it because we knew that the other way was wrong. Yeah. So we can adapt, we can move. Um, it just happens so slowly that sometimes we don't notice that we're changing. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Like so small, I know the culture around the term educator instead of teacher. Yeah. And that has been a slow progression over the last few years, but it's another example of, understanding the impact that that has when you say it and the slow process of correcting something that may seem small to you makes a huge difference mm -hmm. to others. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, uh, one of the things that we say in Washington state is gal. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, but in the rest of the nation, it is a huge insult. Yeah. Um, you cannot say it. And, um, when I tell that to uh, groups that I'm training or groups that I'm in, they're really surprised. And so I was using different language because I knew that gal was, was wrong. So I took that out of my vocabulary and I was in a meeting with the, the, uh, my office mates. Um, I got, I was the only male in the office 
and I came back from this meeting. They asked how it went, and um, it was it was retired women. And I came back and I said, "Yeah, they're really nice ladies." And I probably rolled through ladies like three times. <laughs> and um, the council president, Chris Fraser, at the time, just raised her hand and said, um, "What's the thing about ladies?" I go, uh, "It's just." Nice ladies, you know, just, just <laughs> nice ladies. And she goes, how about women? I'm like, all right, cool. I'll just say women from now on. Yeah. And that's that's what I do. I mean, it's easier. It was easy for me to give up the word retard. Oh, yeah. Because I once I, I said it through high school. I probably said it in college. But as soon as I had a friend with a, a child with Down syndrome, it's like I would never say that in front of no, that friend. What a horrible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's awful. I used to say that's so gay. Um, I used to call my friends fag, you know. But as soon as I had uh, some one of my gay friends, and I had gay friends growing up, and I had gay friends yeah. through college, but one of them finally said, you know, that's you really inappropriate. That. Yeah. You you don't say that. So it's easy for me to give up these words um, because I care more about the relationship than I do anything about keeping, holding on to a word. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I, we can do that as a society. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's a great, great lesson for all of us. I think we've watched a change in a lot of things over our lifetime, just mm -hmm. small things like that. And it really makes a huge difference. And the work we're doing right now is, is the same thing. The mm -hmm. conversation just might be more uncomfortable to be having, but um, yeah, we're making that, that change one, one word or one phrase or one action at a time. Yeah. And it's not PC police. Yeah. It's just be cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really all it is. I don't see it as like, Oh, now I can't say that. Now I can't say this. No, just, you can say whatever you want, but just be cool. Yeah. So what, um, we talked a little bit about being involved possibly in an equity team, also just your day-to-day -day life. Like what sort of PD opportunities, um, you mentioned the modules. If a member were interested in getting involved and, and participating in one of those modules, how do they go about that? Lots of ways. Um, so we have uh, conferences that people can go to. Um, we have had our third uh, Educators of Color conference. Um, they are statewide conferences. We had one last school year, um, and then we did one west side and one east side this year. Um, those went well. Those uh, um, People came from all over the state in both of those. Um, we have the Teaching Equity Conference. Uh, which comes up this spring, and that's a partnership with um, uh, Highline College, I believe. And uh, that is for people of all ages. And there's lots of different things about equity that can get involved in. Um, and we have coming up um, uh, the... You can edit this out. <laughs> um, uh, we have the we have the Human Civil Rights Conference, Leadership Conference, and we are making these all specific. So the Educators of Color Conference, we do have um, the cultural responsive trainings. We do have the implicit bias and microaggressions trainings, and then other uh, uh, training workshops and trainings that people are interested in. 
that of color. When it comes to the HCR Leadership Conference, we're teaching about specifically how to become a leader in this organization. Um, there will be an equity team training. Uh, there will be some stuff on implicit bias and microaggressions. Um, but we'll also have classes on um, how to run a campaign. Uh, what do you need to know to get into leadership at the local level, council level, state level, and national level? We'll also have a course on just basic um, WEA one, you know, uh, 101 classes. What is this organization? Because we are a weird organization. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you try to understand the three, uh, the three legs to our stool of yeah. governance, management, and staff, uh, and how the three work together or try to work together, um, it's, it's different to understand. Yeah. Um, so there's going to be a basic WEA 101 class. And then for the, like I said, for the teaching equity, that's kind of all over and it's for everybody. Um, but the trainings that you can ask for, if you want culturally responsive classes, if you want implicit bias and microaggression, or if you want institutional racism and white privilege, um, you can contact your council president, yourself, myself, <laughs> and um, or your local president, and, and they get in touch with those of us out of um, the Federal Way headquarters office. And then we set it up. There's also the uh, PD network um, that uh, leaders can go to and see what trainings are being offered, where they're being offered, if it's open to everybody. Um, but Really, all it is is if you want to take, uh, if you think that training is important to come to your council or district or building, um, you just contact your council president. Yeah, and I hope that you will because uh, we're going to be having March 21st, we have our uh, first fourth corner Saturday school opportunity mm -hmm. where we're going to be holding some trainings and hopefully we'll be able to bring Randy back for maybe some equity training opportunities it. then. Um, but if there's a specific interest, um, we definitely want to meet those needs and I'd love to hear interest levels from members on different possible PD events. Um, yeah, I just really appreciate you taking the time to be here, Randy. I'm glad to do it. Yeah, this was a great opportunity. So this if is a you're, fun idea. I know. I like and, it. And I'm I'm hoping, especially with the leadership, HCR leadership, those members who um, maybe have not found their pathway into running a campaign, especially if they are not of white supremacy culture, like in any respect, we, we want to build more leadership in, in members who are underrepresented. And I think it's really powerful that WA is supporting that by helping guide what that campaign looks like. Yeah. Maybe one of you will run against me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm just getting to know you. So. <laughs> so, well, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, I'm glad to do it. Yeah, thanks.
All right, that's our episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you'll take a minute, share this podcast with a friend or an educator in your building. We'd really like to get the information out to lots of people, and I really feel like this is a great way to do that. The podcast is now available on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Overcast, and Breaker. So there are lots of opportunities, no matter how you use podcasts, to hopefully make this work for you. And we hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks so much. Bye.